Hello, this is Father John Arthur Orr, Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. In our last program, we went over the Sacrament of Penance in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Today, we'll go over the Sacrament of the Anointing of the Sick and the Sacrament of Holy Orders, likewise as found in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Is there anyone among you who is sick? Then call the presbyters of the church, and they will pray over him, after having anointed him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the patient, and the Lord will raise him. If he has committed sins, they will be remitted. Here the Catechism of the Catholic Church quotes the Sacred Scripture, the letter of St. James, chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. This passage of sacred scripture even finds its way into the rite of the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. <clears throat> the word presbyter means elder. The Presbyterian Church, modern-day Calvinists, they take their name from this word, the universal priesthood of all believers, presbyteroi. Holy Mother, the Church, however, sees in this word a reference to the Sacrament of Holy Orders, which we'll go over later in the program. We see the presbyters, the priest, we see the sick person, we see prayer, we see the anointing. Here, the Catechism doesn't spell out just where or what is anointed. That will come later in the text. The Sacrament of the Anointing of the Sick has for its end to confer special grace to the Christian who is being proved tested by the inherent difficulties to the state of grave sickness or of old age. So here we see two opportune moments when to receive the sacrament if one is gravely ill, gravely sick, or if one is of old age. <coughs> Granted, a teenager is older than a kindergartner, and a 30-year-old is older than a teenager, Old age here is uh, seen more as a remote cause of death. Each of the sacraments have special graces which they impart. This sacrament imparts special graces required due to the difficulties of sickness or the difficulties of old age to help us live them with grace. The opportune time to receive the holy anointing is certainly arrived when the faithful commences to be found in danger of death because of sickness or of old age. So definitely, it's opportune then. I don't know that here the catechism limits when the sacrament can be received, but definitely if someone is of old age or definitely if danger of death is around due to sickness, take those baptized people to the priest to be anointed or summon the priest to their bedside that they might be anointed. Each time that a Christian falls greatly sick or ill, he can receive the holy anointing, anointing of the sick, unction, huh? even when, after having received it, if the sickness becomes more grave. So it's not just anointing once and that's it. If I become more sick, sicker, if the illness becomes more grave, subsequent anointings might occur. I was sick five years ago, I got better. I get sick again, I can get anointed. So that would be more than just the one anointing. Only the priests, presbyters, the priests, and bishops can give the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. 
To confer this, they, the presbyter and the bishop, the priest, employ oil blessed by the bishop, and he does that during the chrism mass, during Holy Week, so often Thursday morning in some diocese. In our diocese of Knoxville, we do it Holy Tuesday, so the priests don't have to have two masses in one day. It would be a hardship, I'm sure. Or at least the oil could be blessed by the presbyter celebrant himself in a worst-case scenario. The oil has traditionally been olive oil, but Pope Paul VI allows any plant oil to be used. The essential rite of the sacrament, the celebration of this sacrament, consists in anointing the forehead. This is where the oil goes. What's anointed? Anointing the forehead and the hands of the sick person in the Roman rite, the Latin rite in the West, or on the other parts of the body in the Eastern rite. This together accompanied by the liturgical prayer of the priest, celebrant, which asks special grace of the sacrament. And there are different prayers, one for a young person, one for an old person, one for a person in their last throes, one for someone about to undergo surgery, and two general anointing prayers. The Catechism continues highlighting five special graces of the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. The special grace of the sacrament of the anointing of the sick has as effects, number one, the union of the sick person to the passion of Christ for his good and that of the whole church. Remember, sacred scripture says we make up what lacks in the sufferings of Christ. It's not that the Lord did not suffer enough on Good Friday or throughout even his whole earthly life to save us. But the Lord never had a cancer or God knows whatever else we have in our own day. And we give our sufferings, uniting them to his, for our own good and that of the whole church. The comfort, peace, and courage to bear, like a Christian, the sufferings of sickness or old age. This way we don't have to suffer on our own. We get not only to unite our sufferings to Christ, we're united to Christ, who has overcome the cross and the grave. Courage, peace, comfort. Imagine our Lord with hands nailed to the cross, with feet nailed to the cross, with a crown of thorns on his head. Father, forgive them. And here, hopefully, we'll have doctors and nurses attending us. Please, God, we won't have to say, Father, forgive them. The pardon of sins if the sick person has not obtained it by the sacrament of penance. If we become unconscious, how could we make a good confession on our deathbed? So this is a great mercy, not only of Almighty God, but of Holy Mother Church. If we are conscious, if we're able to manifest sorrow for our sins, we should receive the sacrament of penance. But if we're unavailable, unable to do that, then uh, the Lord can use this venue. The reestablishment of health. If this is convenient to spiritual salvation, this is a great passage of the Catechism. Sometimes miracles happen, and if they do, we give thanks to the Divine Physician, to Almighty God. All the other doctors, they come from the outside in, but the Divine Physician works from the inside out. And sometimes he will give a miraculous healing, but not as a freak show or a sideshow or just to be spectacular. It's for the salvation of the soul, maybe give the person time to repent well, or maybe uh, to make amends on this side of eternity. The final grace of the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, highlighted by the Catechism of the Catholic Church here, is 
preparation to pass to eternal life. Preparation, are you ready to meet the Lord face to face? In baseball, they slide into home plate. Here we, we get anointed to slide in under the gates of heaven, which have been opened wide by the death and resurrection of the Lord. Grace is applied to us in the holy anointing. My own grandmother is 101 years old. She'll be 102 at her next birthday. And every time I see her, due to her old age, that's pretty old, uh, I am happily anointing her with the sacrament of the sick. Not that she's terribly sick, but, you know, she's not 25 anymore. And she's very much got her wits about her. So, thanks be to God for the grace given us in all the sacraments, not only in baptism or in confirmation or in Holy Communion, the Eucharist, but also in the sacraments of healing, the sacrament of penance, and the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, healing of the soul, healing of body and soul. There are two sacraments of service. The first of which I would like to speak about today is the sacrament of holy orders, bishops, priests, and deacons, based on the Catechism of the Catholic Church. St. Paul said to his disciple Timothy, I invite you to revive the gift that God deposited in you by the imposition of my hands, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. And the one who aspires to the charge of bishop desires a noble office, first letter to St. Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. To Titus, St. Paul said, if I left you in Crete, it was to achieve organization and to establish in each village presbyters conforming to my instructions. Titus chapter 1 verse 5. Here, Mother Church has compiled so many different passages of sacred scripture which relate so well to the sacrament of holy orders. The gift of God deposited in you by the imposition of my hands. This passage of sacred scripture reminds us of one of the parts of the ordination rite, the ritual. The bishop puts his hands on the head of the man to be ordained. Paul did this for Timothy. And so it has gone down through the centuries. The one who aspires to the charge of bishops, of a bishop, desires a noble office. So here we see not only presbyters referred to by St. James in the letter cited in the anointing of the sick part, but now we see the word bishop, noble office. In the letter to Titus, the word presbyter. What is the work of a bishop, a priest, or a deacon? To achieve organization, the hierarchy of the church, the ordered living of the mystical body of Christ on earth. All the church is a sacerdotal, a priestly people. Thanks to baptism, all the faithful, all the baptized, participate in the priesthood, the one priesthood of Christ. This participation is called the common, or the royal priesthood of the faithful. On this base and to its service exists another participation in the mission of Christ, that of ministry conferred by the sacrament of orders, holy orders, given in this task is to serve in the name and in the person of Christ the head in the midst of the community. This is a very key phrase in persona Christi Capitus, in the person of Christ the head, not only in the person of Christ, but the ordained acts in the person of Christ the head. Here we see where there's a great communion between Presbyterians, Calvinists, and Catholics, where the Catholic Church acknowledges the universal priesthood of all baptized people. So that's 
that's the presbyteroi but where the difference is the divergence is is mother church also recognizes the hierarchical priesthood of the ordained that's where the rub comes the ministerial priesthood the catechism of the catholic church assures us differs essentially that is in its very being from the common priesthood of the faithful the baptized because that which is conferred is a sacred power for the service of the faithful. The ordained ministers exercise their service before the people of God by teaching, munis docendi, the divine cult, munis liturgicum sanctificandi, and by pastoral governance, munis regendi, threefold grace of orders, to teach, to govern, and to sanctify. This teaching has not been so well observed in the last 30 or 40 years, but perhaps in our own day it's coming back to the fore. An essential difference, a difference in the being, there's a change, something happens when a man is ordained. We love the Pope, we listen to the Pope not because he's handsome or clever or what, but because he enjoys the fullness of holy orders, he's a bishop. And as the successor to St. Peter, he's head of the College of Bishops and the bishops in the various dioceses. <clears throat> they enjoy the fullness of holy orders, and they govern their dioceses, and they teach their dioceses, and they see that the sacraments are administered in their dioceses, and the priests assist the bishops, teaching and governing and sanctifying the people entrusted to their care. What is it that they teach? Christ, crucified and glorified, all that he has revealed, all that he has commanded. And we know that the sacred scripture does not exhaust all that he said or did, for the whole world could not contain everything that the Lord Jesus said or did. But what was written was written for our salvation. Christ established his church likewise for our salvation, the pillar and bulwark of the truth. The bishops, the priests, and the deacons, they not only teach they sanctify, they administer the sacraments as ordinary ministers of so many of them. From its origins, the ordained ministry has been conferred, that is given, and exercised in three degrees, the one of bishops, the one of presbyters, and the one of deacons. The ministries conferred by ordination are irreplaceable for the organic structure of the church. Without the bishop, the presbyters, and the deacons, one cannot speak of the church, so said St. Ignatius of Antioch in his letter to the Trillions. St. Ignatius was the successor of St. Peter. Before Peter was in Rome, he was in Antioch. It was in Antioch that Christians were first called Christians, and it was in Antioch that Christians were first called Catholics by St. Ignatius, who died in the second century, a martyr's death, thrown to the lions for his faith in Christ the Lord. John Henry Cardinal Newman, who's a convert to the Catholic faith, having been an Anglican, balances out the statement here of St. Ignatius of the Antioch when he says the church would look awful funny without the laity. The bishop receives the plenitude, that is, the fullness of the sacrament of holy orders, which inserts him, puts him in, to the Episcopal College. We're not talking the University of the South down in Sewanee. This is the body of bishops, all the bishops, like Peter was over the apostolic band, the first college of bishops. And the bishop 
is made the visible chief of the particular church which is confided to him. This is another way of saying the diocese. The diocese is the particular church, the particular church here of Knoxville, or formerly the particular church of the Diocese of Nashville, which used to cover the whole state of Tennessee. Who confides the particular church, the diocese, to the particular bishop? The universal bishop, the bishop of Rome, the pope. The bishops, insofar as they are successors to the apostles, number 12, we know who the successor to Peter is. He's the bishop in Rome. We're waiting to find out who the others are. By their sanctity, we know them. The bishops, insofar as they are successors of the apostles and members of the college, Collegio Episcoporum, have part of the apostolic responsibility and the mission of all the church under the authority of the pope, the successor of St. Peter. The presbyters are united to the bishops in the sacerdotal, that is, priestly dignity, and in the same time depend on them in the exercise of their pastoral office. The bishop can't be everywhere, so he has so many priests who might help him. They, the presbyters, the priests, are called to be cooperators, advising the bishops. They form around their bishop the presbyterium, that is the body of the bishops, like we have the Episcopal College, now we have the College of the Priests, which carries with him, the bishop, the responsibility of the particular community or a determined ecclesial office, a pastor of this parish, a priest in this high school, director of Catholic Charities, different offices in Mother Church. Deacons are ordained ministers for tasks of service to the church. They do not receive the ministerial priesthood, but their ordination confers important offices in the ministry of the word, the divine cult, the worship of God, pastoral government, and of the service of charity, tasks which they come to accomplish under the pastoral authority of their bishop. The deacons help the bishop, the priest help the bishop, all of us proclaiming the word of God, all of us living by the word of God, scripture, tradition, magisterium, the Holy Eucharist, the word made flesh. The sacrament of orders is conferred by the imposition of hands, we saw that in St. Paul's letter, followed by a solemn consecratory prayer, the consecratory prayer, one which consecrates, which sets one apart for God, consacre, with the sacred. There's one prayer for deacons, another prayer for priests, another prayer for bishops. The consecratory prayer demands from God, requests, asks, begs God, for the ordained, the one being ordained, the graces of the Holy Spirit required for his ministry, the various grade, to be a bishop, to be a deacon, to be a priest. Ordination imprints an indelible sacramental character. We saw this terminology when treating the sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of confirmation. This is a way of speaking, which means that once a man is ordained a priest, he'll never be ordained a priest again. Once he was made a deacon, he'll never be made a deacon again. Once he's made a bishop, he'll never be made a bishop again. It is either to the man's glory or to his shame that he has received the sacrament. Glory in heaven or shame on the other side. One can act like one has not been confirmed, but it does not change the fact. To one's glory in heaven or to one's shame on the other side. And the same is true of holy baptism. The mark is there. 
It's difficult to speak of a spiritual mark because the soul is a spirit. How do you mark it? Some of this symbolic language, but really having meaning. We are born of water and the spirit. We are worshipers in spirit and truth. The church confers the sacrament of orders only to baptized men, viris, that's a Latin word, who have been duly recognized as having the aptitudes for the exercise of the ministry, the responsibility and the right to call whomsoever to receive holy orders falls to the authority of the church. Another way to say this is, no one has the right to be ordained. You can say to yourself, oh, I think I should be a priest. Well, that's good and fine and may be true. Lay yourself at the feet of the bishop. Say, Bishop, do you think I should be a priest? And he may think so, and you may think so. Well, that's two-thirds of the equation. Please, God, if the good God is calling, it all takes place mysteriously. Here, Mother Church is not saying that whichever man might be ordained is better than any woman or whatever. It's a mysterious call. Remember, Judas was ordained, so we know he wasn't necessarily the greatest thing since sliced bread, so God rest his soul and all the faithful departed. In the Latin church, the sacrament of orders, holy orders, for the presbyterate, for the priesthood, is normally conferred to the candidates who have taken to freely embrace celibacy, little happy turn of phrase there, embrace celibacy, and who manifest publicly their will to keep it, celibacy, for the love of the kingdom of God and for the service of men. It's not out of hatred for holy marriage, but it is out of love for the kingdom of God, where the Lord says we are neither given nor taken in marriage. And not having any family of our own, this way we are more available for the service of the family of God, which is another name for Holy Mother Church. Here the Catechism of the Catholic Church draws attention to the Latin Church. In the Western Church, or the practice is different in the Eastern Church or the Greek Church. The Catechism winds up its presentation, wraps up its presentation, on the Sacrament of Holy Orders by saying that it falls to the bishops to confer the Sacrament of Orders in the three degrees. A bishop ordains a man a deacon, a bishop ordains a man a priest, although at a priestly ordination, if there are any other priests present, they would join the bishop in imposing hands. At the ordination, the consecration of a bishop, you should have three bishops and the papal mandate, the letter from the pope saying, make this man a bishop. The presence of the three bishops at the consecration of a bishop reminds us of the collegiality of the college. So important remember how earlier the Catechism pointed out that it falls to the authority of the Church to call whomsoever to receive holy orders. This reminds us that in certain times there were attempts to have not only lay trusteeism, but the conferral of office of holy orders through the monarchy or through the civil government this is called lay investiture. The church has fought long and hard to free herself from any sort of subservience to any civil realm, knowing that she must serve God alone, God first and foremost, 
And in serving God, society is served through holy orders, through the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, through the sacrament of penance, baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist. All the sacraments of the church serve the individuals, the souls who receive the sacraments. And as they are sanctified, so too society and the world, which awaits the return of Christ the Lord in glory to judge the living and the dead. May he find us ready upon his return on a day at an hour which we do not know. We do know that he will return. We do know that he has died to save us from ourselves, from our sins. We know by faith and grace the love God has for us. God so loves the world, he sent his only Son to be our Savior, born of a woman, born under the law, to give us the grace we need to conform to that same law. It is his birthday we celebrate at Christmas. It is his resurrection we celebrate at Easter. All the moments of our lives marked by his life, death, and resurrection. Come, Lord Jesus, we await your return in glory. Come, Lord Jesus, we await your presence with us as your word is proclaimed and explained. Come, Lord Jesus, when we gather in your name. Come, Lord Jesus, in the blessed sacrament of the altar, the sacrament of your very body and blood. My soul is true food, my blood is true drink. And yes, come, Lord Jesus, even in the sacrament of holy orders, the sacrament of ministry in the church, even in the sinful person of the priest, the bishops, the deacons. Only God alone is perfect, but he has set aside some chosen men to stand not only in his person, to act in his name, but to serve as the head of the church on earth. The head of the church on earth, visibly, is the Bishop of Rome. The visible head of the church in any particular diocese is the bishop. The visible head of the church in any parish is the pastor. May our shepherds, the pope, the other bishops, our pastors, may they always be blessed with a faithful flock. And may the sheep of the Lord's flock, all the faithful, always be blessed with pastors after the heart of Christ. Pastors who teach the truth of faith, true doctrine, pure doctrine, who encourage, who are cheerleaders for the faith, encouraging one and all to believe all that God has revealed, all that he has revealed and entrusted to his bride, Mother Church. Next time, we'll continue with a presentation on the sacrament of holy marriage and begin with the commandments of God as found in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Until next time, may God bless you richly, abundantly,